In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. In some ways, Pontius Pilate is the Gentile equivalent to Judas, sort of a tragic figure. We know that God foreknew Judas's betrayal and therefore used that to bring about the crucifixion of Jesus. But we also know that God desires that all men would come to the knowledge of salvation in Christ Jesus. And so Jesus therefore warned Judas, practically begging him to turn from his way and live, much as Peter did after the resurrection of our Lord. Likewise, God knew that Pontius Pilate would be the one who would release a murderous criminal, Barabbas, instead of Jesus, and condemn the Lord of life to die. As we heard from tonight's Passion reading, Pilate found no guilt in Jesus. He knew that Jesus was innocent, and his interrogations of Jesus confirms this for us. And yet, Pilate permitted the miscarriage of justice. God used this man and his failure to punish the wicked and reward the godly to bring about the crucifixion. In fact, of all of the mortals that have ever lived, Pontius Pilate is only one of two that are mentioned in the creeds of the church. And so tonight we will meditate on two points. First, how Pilate confirms again for us that Jesus is king. And second, how Pilate declared the one who is innocent to be guilty so that he would declare the guilty one to be innocent. So first, let's think about Pontius Pilate as he declares Jesus to be a king. In our reading for tonight, the Jews bring Jesus to Pilate without a real reason of doing so. If, if he were not doing something wrong, they say, we wouldn't have brought him to you. It's sort of like when your kids get into a fight and they say, well, I wouldn't have hit back if this first event hadn't happened. There's no real good reason for it. And so they hem and haw around for a little bit, and they finally touch a nerve with Pilate. We found this man perverting the nation and forbidding us to pay taxes to Caesar and saying that he himself is Christ, a king. He hit the Roman governor exactly where they knew it would hurt. In the cohesiveness of the Roman world, which at that point had produced an unprecedented level of peace not before known to mankind, he hit him in the wallet, although falsely we know Jesus did not forbid the paying of taxes to Caesar. But most especially, he hit the Roman governor where it hurt in terms of setting up an alternative ruler to his god-king, Caesar. We talked about this on Sunday, about the kind of king that Jesus wants to be. Pilate asked Jesus if the claim of his kingship was legitimate. Jesus answers, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then my servants would have fought that I should not be given over to the Jews. But now my kingdom is not of this world. So what does this tell us about the kingdom and the kingship of Jesus? That he has servants 
would fight for him ought to remind us of what Jesus says in the Garden of Gethsemane. We heard that a few weeks ago. Do you think that I cannot appeal to my Father and that he will at once send me more than 12 legions of angels? Jesus' kingdom is, first and foremost, a heavenly kingdom. He does not come to set up an earthly throne to rival Caesar or Herod or any other king. And we should not expect that either. We are living in a time where the influence of Christianity is waning. The rapidly declining rate of the church's influence over the culture is alarming. But why would we expect anything different? Time and time again, the scriptures speak of but a small remnant, a small portion being saved not vast swaths of humanity. Jesus himself tells us that the road to destruction is broad and easy, and the gate to eternal life is narrow and is found by few. So what kind of king is this Jesus? He responded to Pilate saying, You say rightly that I am a king. I was born and I came into the world that I should bear witness to the truth. Everyone that is of the truth hears my voice. So the kind of king Jesus is, is that his kingdom is marked by truth. That is by what he speaks. Remember that Jesus is not one truth among many, a buffet of truths that are out in the world. That is the modern error of our age that My truth is just as good as your truth. There are no truths with an S at the end. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by him. And so the gateway to his kingdom is as narrow as the cross. For he himself says, when I am lifted up, I will draw all men to myself. Remember the words that Pilate even wrote above the cross, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. But for us, this entrance is also as narrow and wide as our font. For he says, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot see or enter the kingdom of God. Dearly beloved, Jesus is a king, and that is undisputable, and it is hidden in plain sight. But why would we want to be a part of that kind of kingdom? Well, that leads us into our final point for our consideration. Pilate declaring Jesus the innocent one to be guilty in order that he would declare the guilty one to be innocent. The scriptures all throughout make a big point of Jesus' innocence. It's important that Jesus was without sin so that he could be our Savior. If Jesus had committed any sin, he himself would need a Savior. Only a spotless lamb would do. Going through tonight's reading, I counted. We heard Pilate say, no fewer than seven times that Jesus is innocent. The story even throws in an extra one, even saying that Herod could find no guilt in this man. 
Jesus even has a foil that we can compare him against. We've mentioned his name already tonight, Barabbas. Remember Barabbas' name? It means son of the father. But he is a very different kind of son than Jesus. He is called a rebel and a murderer. He is guilty of one who is starkly compared to the innocence of Jesus. And yet, it is Barabbas who is acquitted and released. He is declared innocent, and Jesus is condemned to die. It is as the church sings, What punishment so strange has suffered yonder? The shepherd dies for sheep that love to wander. The master pays the debt his servants owe him who would not know him. In Barabbas, we are to see a picture of ourselves. Jesus is declared guilty so that we would be declared innocent. The king dies so that we, his subjects, would receive his inheritance. St. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, my favorite Bible verse, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. You receive an advancement on that judgment every single time you hear the absolution. Jesus says, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. And this, this, dear saints, is why we ought to desire with everything that we have to be a subject of this kingdom, to be a child of the kingdom of God. God no longer looks at us as guilty sinners. He sees us not as Barabbases running around, but he sees us through the lens of Christ's cross and our baptism into him. And he sees you as righteous for the sake of Jesus' innocent sufferings and death. And in this innocence, we find not a mere return to the Garden of Eden, but we find a life that cannot die. In Jesus' name. And now the peace of God, which passes all understanding, keep your hearts and minds through faith in Christ Jesus our Lord.